All right, if you would turn with me, please, in your Bible to John chapter 20. Uh, John is one of the first books in the New Testament. It's called, it's called a gospel. And uh, the gospels in the New Testament tell the story of Jesus' life. And here today, we're going to read the, the account of the first Easter Sunday. Now, you may not know this, or, or you may know it. The word gospel actually means good news. And I think this story that we're going to read and talk about this morning more than any other, shows why the life of Jesus would be called good news and why that good news would focus on this particular scene, this scene of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so would you read along with me here in John? We'll read the story and say a few words about this good news today. Uh, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord and the great account of that first Easter Sunday. I don't know if you remember this or if you saw it on the news, but this week began with a very grim statement by the U.S. uh, Surgeon General. Jerome Adams is the name of our Surgeon General, and at the very beginning of the week, he made this statement. He said, This is going to be the hardest and the saddest week of most Americans' lives. He was talking about, of course, the coronavirus pandemic, that this week was according to projections, going to be the week with the most loss of lives. 
This is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, he said, our 9-11 moment, only it's not going to be localized. It's going to be happening all over the country. Now, I wonder when you heard that grim statement, whether it was at the beginning of the week or maybe you're hearing it now for the first time, how did you respond when you heard it? What did you think? How did you feel? How did it change the way maybe you lived your life this week? I know for me, it sat very heavy on my heart. It honestly created a lot of anxiety in me. It also reminded me of something that is all throughout the Bible, and and in fact is in this story about the resurrection, that sorrow is never very far away from us in our lives in this world. Sorrow surrounds us. You can't get away from it. In fact, here on the first Easter Sunday, the, the first disciples, Mary Magdalene and these other disciples that followed Jesus, they encountered the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus from the position of deep sadness and deep sorrow because they had lost their beloved friend and their beloved teacher in an especially violent way. And yet, when Jesus appeared to them, when he came out of the tomb resurrected, he shined all of his light on their situation of sorrow, and he showed that there can be hope in the midst of sorrow. This story, this is why I said this story shows why we call Jesus' life gospel, why we call it good news, because it shines into our world as it really is, a world of pain and a world of hope. Well, if you look this morning at the outline we provided for you in the, on the website, there are three things that this story shines on when it comes to sorrow. The first thing is it shines on the reality of sorrow. It, it gives us an idea as to why life is so full of sorrow. The second thing this story shines on is the, the power of Jesus' resurrection over sorrow in our lives. And the last thing it shines on is the reason why you and I can have hope. We can live hopeful lives even in the face of sorrow. So I want to talk to you through those three things, the reality of sorrow, the resurrection over sorrow, and the reason for hope even in the midst of sorrow. First of all, there's the reality of sorrow. See, this story shows us why it is our world is so full of sadness, why it's so full of sorrow. And it comes down really to this. The world is full of sorrow because the world is full of death. Death and its friends is the way I like to say it. See, death does ne- it never comes alone. Death comes into our lives with so many other companions following it. Death comes with disease. It comes with virus. It, it comes with fear. It comes with depression. It comes with a sense of loss that can't be recovered. Death comes with injury. I mean, there's all kinds of things, grim realities that come along with death. I remember a few years back, I was down in the country of Nicaragua, and I was sitting with a friend out on a porch, and we looked way off to, I think it was the south, and we saw this big volcano very nearby, and it's an active volcano there in that area around Managua, Nicaragua, and it was, it was pouring out black smoke. And I asked him, you know, what's it like to live nearby such a very dangerous thing and he said you know here in Nicaragua every time you look up and you see the smoke from the volcano when you look south and you see it looming over the horizon you're reminded that in Nicaragua you live on the razor's edge between life and death when he said that of course I I mean I was I was first of all scared (laughs) second of all I I really felt for my friends who lived there but thirdly I thought you know that's actually not that much different than our lives all the time. 
It doesn't take living next to a volcano to live on the razor's edge between life and death. It doesn't even take a coronavirus for us to live on the razor's edge between life and death. The whole world exists, doesn't it, on that razor's edge? And so on the first Easter morning, the overwhelming emotion of the disciples before they met Jesus, the overwhelming emotion was the emotion of sorrow that comes from death. They had lost their teacher and friend, Mary especially. I think this is one of the reasons maybe why Mary Magdalene was one of the first disciples to see and talk to Jesus after the resurrection. Why she was one of the first ones to be sent out into the world as a a bearer of the good news of Easter. It's because Mary, you see, had a specially uh, close relationship with Jesus. The gospel stories tell us that when Jesus met Mary, she was on rock bottom in her life. She was actually oppressed by seven evil spirits that lived in her and, and held her down. And when Jesus met her, he set her free from that. And she became sort of welded at heart to Jesus like none of the other disciples really were. Can you imagine what she felt like? Just a day or two after, she saw that teacher, that master of hers who had released her from her life's burden. She saw him crucified on the cross, treated shamefully, laid in a tomb that wasn't even his own. They had to hastily find a borrowed tomb and throw his body in it. And then on the morning when she finally was able to come and pay her last respects to her friend, Jesus, she didn't find his body there. Did you notice in the story when the disciples came, both Mary and Peter and John, when they came to the tomb and they found it empty, they did not immediately think, oh, wow, good news, resurrection. (laughs) That's not what they thought of at all. In fact, the first thing they thought was this could be nothing other than a grave robbery. They had no idea in their minds that this could possibly be a resurrection. You know why? Because they understood death like you and I understand death. Death is not the kind of thing that you just waltz into and then waltz right back out. Death is irreversible. And so when they saw the empty tomb, they all stared at it. It says there that in verse uh, 2 that Mary says they must have taken away the Lord. It must have been some kind of robbery. Then in verse 9 it says that John did not yet understand what the Scripture said, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They saw their friend murdered in a violent way, and then they saw the tomb emptied, and they had absolutely no answers for it. You see, death, just like the stone that was over the tomb, is an immovable object for them 2,000 years ago, and death is an immovable object for us today. That's the very reason why you and I live on the razor's edge between good and evil, between death and life, between joy and sorrow in our lives. And we may look around our entire lives for a solution to this problem, but we just can't quite find it. You see, death levels us all. Whether we're disciples of Jesus or whether we're not, whether we know the story of Jesus by heart or whether we're hearing it for the first time, death levels us all and it humbles us because it's unpredictable because it comes with so many other grim realities that cause sorrow in our heart, and because, most of all, because it's irreversible. And so Mary and the disciples can only stand outside the tomb crying, scratching their heads, wondering what in the world has happened. You see, the resurrection of Jesus came 
at a moment when people were at a loss for answers. And so it is today. The best way for you and I to begin to understand Easter, the best way for us to begin to understand this gospel of Jesus is to come to the end of ourselves, to realize we do not have the resources to face life's problems, but here comes God himself. Here comes Jesus shining out in the midst. You see, the resurrection of Jesus came as the high point in a long story of God. When you look at the whole Bible, the Bible tells one continuous story, and it's a story about life and death. See, God created the world, and and death and pain and sorrow was no part of the world that God created. God created the world good. So why is there death and pain today? The Bible says it entered in because of our sin and rebellion. Uh, Death entered in like an intruder into the world that God had made. God permitted it to come in as as an expression of his judgment against our sin and rebellion. But the Bible says, no no sooner had God let death in, did God declare war on death. And so Adam and Eve, when they were hiding from God, and God says, you will surely die because you've, you've disobeyed me, God also in that moment began to give his promise. He said to Eve, one of your sons that's going to come from your body, one of your sons is going to crush the head of death, is going to crush the enemy of humanity. And that morning when Jesus emerged from the garden tomb, when he came out and he, and he began to talk to Mary and to the other disciples, though they were covered in the sorrow of death, yet at that moment, the high point of God's story was happening. God was finally delivering on that ancient promise. He was overcoming death and making it turn backwards. If you're listening this, to this this morning, I wonder, I know you may not believe yet in what I'm saying. You may not buy into the power of the resurrection for your daily life. But I wonder if you would at least think about the question, do you have another way of, of explaining why death is such a dominant thing in our lives? Do you have a better story than the one the Bible tells? Think about that. How do you account for the fact that something like death can be so dominating? I mean, how much of our lives are filled with strategies all the time where we're strategizing to try to keep the inevitable approach of death at bay? Why is it that you and I do it? This story, you see, shines a light. It helps us understand that death and the resurrection, sorrow and the joy of seeing God overcome what we cannot overcome, how that is a part of a larger story that only God could write and that only God could tell. That's the first thing. This story shines its light on the reality of sorrow, but it also shines its light on the power of the resurrection over sorrow. I want you to notice how uh, there in verses 11 all the way to verse 18, Jesus begins to uh, confront Mary in some very interesting ways. You know, Mary is standing there at the tomb in verse 11. She's, you know, riveted to the spot because remember, she had this deep connection to Jesus in life that was now ripped away from her. So she stood out there crying and weeping. But as she did, she saw these angels, two angels there to announce the resurrection to her. And then she saw Jesus, who she didn't recognize, which was a a normal feature of the first Easter stories. You know, Jesus, when he came out of the grave, didn't just come out exactly like he was before. He came out transformed. He came out glorified is the way the Bible puts it. So often the disciples, when they first saw Jesus on the first Easter, they 
they didn't quite know who he was. And often it took Jesus speaking. It took his questions and his, his uh, ongoing actions with them for them finally to have their eyes open to see this is the Lord here. That's exactly what the angels and what Jesus do for Mary. They ask Mary two questions. I wonder if you noticed the questions. They're kind of, when you think about these questions, they're sort of odd, right? Maybe even, they might even seem kind of offensive. Here you have a woman weeping over her lost friend, probably the most important person in her life, and both the angels and Jesus ask her, Woman, why are you crying? There's so much of the meaning of Easter in that one question. Why are you crying? Why was she crying? Of course, we know why she was crying. She was crying there for the same reason that you and I cry when we lose our loved ones. Because death has ripped something away from us. Something that we can never get back again, we think. Something that we simply have no answers to. A problem more insurmountable than we can possibly climb. That's why she was crying. And yet Jesus, the resurrected Savior is able to ask her, and the angels are able to ask her, why are you crying here? You see, at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, that first Sunday, there was nothing more out of place than tears. Nothing more out of place. Because what had happened was not a, a grave robbery. It wasn't that somebody came and stole Jesus' body out. What had happened is God himself had entered into death and defeated death at its own game so that on behalf of all his people, he could share a victory over the grave. Why are you crying? There is good news, Mary. Jesus follows up that question with another one that seems almost just as as crazy and and just as offensive. Uh, Jesus says to Mary there in verse 15, Who is it you are looking for? Well, who was it that she was looking for? Of course it was Jesus. But you see, Jesus is again challenging Mary. He's challenging you and I both. He's challenging all of us. Mary was looking, you see, for Jesus, the corpse. (laughs) She was worried that her friend's corpse had been stolen. Maybe someone was trying to dishonor his corpse even more, robbing her and her friends of the opportunity to pay their last respects. All she wanted was a corpse, a dead body back. And Jesus says, now wait a minute, who exactly is it you're looking for? Because if you're looking for me, I'm not the kind of person that stays a corpse. (laughs) If you're looking for me, I'm not the kind of person that can possibly be held down by death forever. I am the resurrected Christ. In both of these questions, you see what Jesus is trying to teach Mary is that Jesus didn't just come into this world to put a Band-Aid on it. Jesus didn't just come to give us some comforting words and some reassuring ideas. Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a philosopher. He's more than a religious leader. Jesus came into this world to fix the world completely, to fix it from the inside out. You see, just simply ignoring a problem is not the same as fixing it, is it? I mean, if you went to a doctor and you said, doctor, I'm having these symptoms, and and, and they're very serious symptoms, and the doctor looked at you and said, you know what, I I just think you need to think more positively about it. I just think you need to ignore it. You know, it's not a big deal. Just go home and ignore it. I, I want you to work on the power of positive thinking. What would you do if a doctor told you that? I mean, I, I guarantee you, you wouldn't leave a very good review. You wouldn't refer anybody else to that doctor. 
Same thing if you took your car that the, the transmission had been shot. You took it to a mechanic and he said, you know, what I want you to do is keep driving the car, but just tell yourself the transmission's fine. You wouldn't send anybody to that mechanic because ignoring something, using your mind to try to control ideas is not the same thing as fixing it. When Jesus asked Mary, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? He's challenging her. He's challenging all of us. I, Jesus speaking, I am not just another helper. I'm not just another coach for your life to give you a few positive thoughts. All the other religions of the world do that. All the other strategies that you and I might come up with to try to overcome sorrow or death do that. They're really just mind games. I'm going to try to think of happier thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and imagine another world while I'm still here in this, this world that's sick and, and dying. You see, it's just mind games. But Jesus came with something more. Jesus came into the world and he actually changed the fabric of the world. He changed the whole landscape of the world. He changed the world itself with his resurrection. He overcame death so that death itself would die. So that death itself would not have power over our lives. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16, just a few chapters earlier. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world. That's why one of the early church fathers, his name was Cyprian. He lived during a plague, an epidemic, uh, very much like the one we're going through now in Rome. It killed a lot of people uh, in the 200s, long time ago. And Cyprian, when he was asked about what effect the plague had on the Christians in Rome. He simply said this, the plague is teaching us, it's helping us learn how not to fear death. Now I wonder, think about that. Is that just a mind game that Cyprian is playing? It's not just a mind game. What Cyprian was saying was something very, very profound. He was saying because we Christians, because we follow a resurrected Savior, one who went into the grave but got up again, the one who could not be held by death, we can live even through times of plague and pandemic. We can live through times of injury and loss and not fear death itself. That's what faith is. You know, a lot of people in times like this, as a pastor, I realize that Situations like this where life just kind of gets turned upside down for a lot of people are times when folks begin to talk about the, the importance of faith. It begins to wake them up in a way and say, you know, I, I need God. I need to work on my faith. But oftentimes what I find is when people say stuff like that, what they mean is I, I need to learn how to think more positively. They, they associate faith with just positive thinking. But I want to tell you, according to this story, that's not what faith in Jesus is. Faith in Jesus is not positive thinking. Faith in Jesus is putting your trust in someone who can do for you what you could never do for yourself. It's rolling the weight of your life, resting the whole weight of your life on someone who can carry your burdens in a way you could never carry them for yourself. That's what faith is. That's why that question that Jesus had for Mary is so important. It's really a question you can ask yourself, and I can ask myself, who is it you're looking for? 
That's the one question, I think, that can tell us where we're at with God. Are you looking for God just to simply patch up a few circumstances here and there? Are you looking for a God or a Jesus who will just swoop in and be your assistant and coach you up? Or do you know that in this world of sorrow, the only thing that will do is a God who is like a doctor, like a mechanic, who doesn't just put a band-aid on the problem, who doesn't just teach you to ignore it, but he enters into the problem and fixes it from the inside out. That's the second thing we see. This story shines on the power of the resurrection over the sorrows in our lives and in the world. Well, the third thing and the last thing is this story shines its light on the reason that we have to be hopeful in a world of sorrow. We have a reason to be hopeful. You know, there are some things that happen in life that just should change everything about life, right? There, there are some things that happen that really don't change anything. Like, for example, if you were walking down the street today and you saw a penny on the ground and you reached down and picked it up, uh, you would be a penny richer, but I guarantee it probably would not change anything about your life. But imagine if today you received a notice that you were... You were given an inheritance of $250 million. And imagine it didn't come in an email from some Nigerian prince you've never met. Imagine it was real. It was really about a long-lost relative who left you $250 million, and the money actually got deposited into your account today. I guarantee you that would change your life. Or at least it should. I mean, how crazy would it be if that happened and yet you still remained in debt? I mean, how crazy would it be if that happened to me and yet I still lived exactly the same way I'd always lived before? It changed nothing about my life. And yet, when it comes to the Easter message, isn't it true that often we say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? But yet, when it comes down to it, it hasn't actually changed very many things, if any things at all, in our lives. And so in the last part of this story, Jesus is still dealing with, this, with Mary, his dear friend, And he begins to again challenge her to think about ways that his resurrection ought to completely change the way she thinks and the way she lives. If you'll look there in verses uh, 17 and 18, you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus says first there, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. Apparently what had happened is pretty much what would have happened if you and I were there, Mary immediately like grabbed onto Jesus. Mary hugged him. Maybe she fell at his feet and grabbed onto his feet. She was so relieved to know that her loved one was there. And yet Jesus says, don't hold on to me because I haven't yet ascended to my father. You see, Jesus is helping Mary to understand something about what he's actually just done. I've been raised, Jesus is saying, not so that things might go back to the way they always were, So that you, Mary, might sit with me and talk with me and that you, Mary, might hug me and I might hug you. No, Jesus says, I've come to do so much more than that. I've come to rise from the dead and ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty so that from there I could rule the whole world so that not only one person at a time, might have access to me, but so that billions of people might have equal access to me. 
I go to ascend so that not only, Mary, can you cling to me physically here in this garden, but I'm going to heaven so that you might cling to me and that all those who believe in me through all time might hold on to me by faith, that they might know that I am there holding on to them. That's why Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me because I haven't yet gone to the Father. Go instead, he says, go instead and tell my brothers. Tell the disciples. I love how he calls them my brothers. Because you see, the relationship between Jesus and Mary is not the only thing that's changed here. It's also the relationship between Jesus and his his disciples. And Jesus and every other person who will ever put their faith in God. They become Jesus' brothers. Members of the same family. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. You see, when you believe in Jesus... It's not just that God lets you go free and doesn't punish you. It's better news than that. Because of the resurrection, it's you get adopted into the very family of God and seated at the table with your father. Go to tell them, I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And then it says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Do you want to know how you and I can live out our resurrection faith in our lives today? Especially how we can live out our faith in the resurrection in the Easter story in the midst of a, of a global pandemic? These two things that Jesus tells Mary are a great guide for us. If we're going to live out our, our faith in the resurrection, it should change where we look And it should change what we say and what we talk about. First of all, it should change where we look. Just like Jesus said to Mary, don't hang on to me here in this garden, but instead look to heaven. Look to where I'm going. Look to the the right hand of the Father where I'm going to be seated to reign over the world. The Bible says you and I as Christians can do that same thing. We see all the stuff going around us here in this world and we, we take account of it. We, we're active in our daily lives and in our callings. I believe very firmly right now as Christians, we should be fighting against coronavirus with all our strength and power, whether that means as a healthcare worker or as a first responder, or whether you're just like me and, and the way that we fight against it is by social distancing and listening to what our government has told us about how to, how to help this virus stay at bay. We ought to be fighting. But in the midst of of the fight, here's what makes Christians who believe in the resurrection different. We look in a different place. We don't look to our money and our bank accounts for hope. We don't look to our health for hope, not ultimately. We don't even look to our loved ones and friends for hope ultimately. Ultimately, we look for hope in our risen and exalted Savior who calls us brothers who calls us sisters, who is seated at the right hand of God, ruling history in such a way that one day everything will be united around him, the Bible says. It should change where we look. But our faith in the the resurrection and Easter ought to change what we talk about too. Jesus said to Mary, I want you to go and tell my brothers. I want you to deliver the news. And here's the thing about Christians. We've got news to share. (laughs) We've got really good news to share. Isn't it true that during the, the pandemic, there's news everywhere, isn't there? That there's news coming at us from all angles. 
If we wanted to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with nothing but coronavirus news, we could do it. And it's mostly doom and gloom, and it gets us down. There's all kinds of people fighting on the news about who's doing a good job and who's not doing a good job, and it can be very, very disheartening. Here's the thing. If we're going to live in resurrection hope, it's good to watch the news. It's good to be informed. But we cannot be a people who are formed by the news here. Be informed, but not formed by the news. Instead, we ought to be people who are, infor- who are formed by the good news of the Resurrection Sunday. And that news ought to be the news on our lips. When people see us fighting the pandemic, but yet trusting in God, it ought to prompt them to ask, what's the reason for your hope? I mean, how can you have hope in such a sorrowful, gloomy, and confusing time? And the answer ought to be ready on our lips. Because he is risen. Jesus came into this world from the Father. He died on the cross on our behalf. He went into the tomb. And the tomb could not hold him down. But the very power of God shot out like lights, like lightning into a dark world. And by faith in Jesus... We have tasted and we have seen that light in our very lives. That's something that's not just for us as Christians. That's something that's for every person around us. That's news that every person around you needs to hear. It's our job. It's our calling to go and share it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your grace today and your mercy Lord, that you would come into our world full of sorrow, Jesus. And you did not exempt yourself from sorrow, but you lived yourself a life of sorrow. But I thank you that your resurrection is the only power that can overcome death and all of his friends. Thank you that the resurrection overcomes injury and disease and tears and loss and pain. Death overcomes it all. I mean, the the resurrection overcomes it all. Thank you for that, Jesus. So, Lord, we ask that we would believe in that message and that it would begin to change our lives as we look up to you, Lord Jesus, exalted on high. And as we go out, not with the news of the day on our lips only, but help us to go out with the news of Jesus' eternal victory on our lips. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.